All right. Wow, I look good in that photo. <laughs> All right. Hey, um, can I ask you for a favor this morning before I begin? Um, my son, my eight-year-old son, Jaden, has been vomiting since last night a few times and also this morning. Um, but um, I left um, my house this morning coming here having full confidence in God that he loves my son more than I love him. And it, uh, while I'm here, that he's going to take care of him. And, uh, but uh, I also believe in the, um, in the Word of God where it says when two or three people agree together, God is right there and he's going to answer our prayer. So would you pray uh, for my son, for me this morning before we begin? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for a family of faith, Lord. This, this is my family because uh, we believe... Um, not just in you, but in your son and what he's done for us at the cross, his finished work at the cross to redeem us from our sins and, and all the, the problems that we have in this world. So this morning, Lord, we want to come together agreeing. I want to pray, Lord, for my son, Jaden, that you at this very moment just touch his body, touch, uh, touch him and heal him, Lord, from all his diseases. In Jesus' name, Lord, I believe that you love him so much, Lord, that you don't want to see him suffer, but let let him, even at his young age, through this experience, uh, learn to put his trust and his faith in you for everything. So we thank you, Lord. We love you. Uh, right now, we want to listen to your word. I pray that you speak to us like only you can. Uh, I know there's not one person who is here by coincidence. We're here for a reason. You want to speak to us. So speak to us because we're ready to listen. In Jesus' name, we pray. If you agree with me, say amen. 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 All right. This morning, I, I was really tempted to, to bargain with God. Have you ever done that? You know, have you ever bargained with God? God, if, I, if you do this, then I'll, I, I do this. If you, if you, if you uh, would do this for me, then I promise I will always, I will never. Have you ever done that? And um, I remember making a deal like that with God when I was a teenager. I remember I took my dad's car out when I was like 13. And I, I scratched <laughs> one side of his car, and I came back, and I prayed to God. I wasn't even a believer back then. I said, God, you know, if you do this for me, I, you know, I go to confession, I go to church, you know, I lead a camp, I, be, I become a priest for you. Uh, not that far, but, you know, I was really, really uh, honestly praying my hardest at that time to God and making a deal with him. Uh, you know, we all, we all do that, right? We negotiate with God, and um, even people who don't believe in God, they do that. You know, maybe you're here, you don't even believe in God. You're not sure if God exists. I, I know people make, at least at one time or another in their life, God, to whom it may concern, if you're up there, whoever is up there in the sky, please, if you do this, then I'll, I'll do this. And I will never do this. I'll, I'll believe in you. Something like that. Now, um, confession time. Who's done that before? <laughs> Most of us have done that before. Uh, here's another thing that I know about you. I know about me. Um, we don't keep our end of the deal, do we? Right? <laughs> so when, when we prayed and God came through, we said, Oh, man, thank God my mom was asleep when I came home. Thank God my, bottle, my boss was sick. So I got another uh, day for my, for my project. Um, and when you do that, here are two huge assumptions that you are making. Number one, you believe not only God exists, but number two, you believe that God knows about you. God knows your name. God knows your circumstances. And that God gives a rip about your problem, right? You make that assumption. And the second big assumption that you make is this, that God wants something from you. That you have something that God wants or you have something that God needs. Now, let me tell you one important theological 
truth this morning as we begin our, our, our message. The theological truth is this. It's very simple, but may, you may find it difficult to, to accept in your heart. God doesn't want anything from you. That's one important theological truth that I believe every one of us must grasp. God doesn't negotiate, just like the United States. You know, they don't negotiate with terrorists, right? God doesn't negotiate with you. You can't bargain with God. You can't uh, make a deal with God. You don't have anything that God wants. You don't even have anything that God needs. He, you know, he is the owner of everything. You, you don't have even the slightest bit of thing that God might want or God might need. This is the difference between Christianity and all the religions of the world. Our relationship with the Creator, this is what we believe, is not a business relationship. It's not an economy, uh, you know, uh, it's not an economical relationship. It is a relationship. And if anything, it is a father-son relationship that we have with our Heavenly Father. Here's our problem. We believe, very so often, we believe in the lie of Satan, in the deception of Satan about God, that God could not possibly love us just the way we are. There's no way that could be true. There must be something that God wants from me. There must be something that I can offer God. That's what the basis of all the religions of the world. God, if I fast, would you give us rain? If I sacrifice these animals, would you please give us crops? Isn't that all the basis of all the religions of the world? If I perform these five pillars, you know, if you're a follower of Islam, you believe in the five pillars of Islam. You know, if I fast during the month of Ramadan, if I um, give my alms to the poor, if I go to Mecca, you know, if I do all these five things, then and only then would God accept me. The Jewish people are the same. You believe in the Ten Commandments. You know, if I perform the Ten Commandments, then God would be pleased with me. Um, you know, if you're a Buddhist, you follow the eightfold parts of Buddha. Do the right thing. Listen to the right thing. Say the right thing. All the eight right things that you do got to do, then, then you have a chance to be received into nirvana. Now, um, I believe it is not just... People who don't know Jesus Christ, I believe it's not just people who are non-Christians who have these big problems of not believing that God could accept us just the way we are. I find very interestingly, I don't know if you know this or not, I find it that in the church, this problem is just as big. As a follower of Christ, we also believe in this assumption, wrong assumption, that God could not possibly love me just the way I am. You see, uh, I find that in every church, in every uh, forms of Christianity, we can swing into one or two possibilities. Number one, we believe that God loves us because of our religious performance. Or we believe that we're not a good Christian, that we are condemned, that God doesn't like us. You know, He loves us because He's God. He has to love us. But He doesn't really like us because... We don't perform enough for Him. We don't do enough things for Him. So you can swing into one of these two extremes. And I want to address that this morning. Uh, first of all, uh, for those of you who feel secure in God's love because of your religious performance, I want to address 
you this morning. And I want my hope and my prayer is that you will continue to trust in God's love, but not because of your religious performance. And for those of you who swing onto the other side of the pendulum, you believe that, you know, God doesn't really like you all that much. Yeah, He saved you through Jesus Christ. He died for your sins and all. But He doesn't really like you because of, you know, you could have done more. You know that. You know that you could have done more. But because you don't, God doesn't really like you that much. I want to address you as well. So first one, uh, for those of you who feel secure in God's love because of your long prayer, because of your faithful giving, because of your faithful church attendance, which, by the way, you know, they're all great. And I want, to, I want you to keep doing those things. If you are faithful in those things, you know, faithful in your church attendance, I believe God wants you to be faithful uh, in attending church. I believe God wants you to be generous. I believe God wants you to serve. I believe in all that. So don't say that, okay, uh, all those things are not important. But I want you to be secure in the love of God, not because you do all those things. You got me? All right? Now, Here's what the Bible says in Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, we all know this verse if we are a Christian. And we use this verse a lot for what? For evangelism, right? We tell this to the non-Christians, you know, that all of us are sinners and we all fall short of the glory of God. But what is interesting, I believe when Paul wrote this, not only did he write for the non-Christians, But I believe he meant this verse very well for himself and for all of us as well. Notice the shift in the the tense. He used the perfect tense on the first half of his sentence. He said, for all have sinned. That's a perfect, you know, uh, English is my second language. So I have to learn the the rules of grammar, you know. Uh, you, You speak it by, you know, by nature. You might not know what it's called, but for all have sinned, that's a perfect tense. And then it's interesting how he shifts to the present tense, saying, and fall short of the glory of God. What is he saying? I believe this is what he's saying. He's saying that, yes, all of us have fallen into sin. We all have sinned. But guess what? Even until today, those of you who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, you still fall short of the glory of God. And this is what Isaiah said, is it not? All our righteous deeds are like what? Filthy rags in the sight of God. Isn't that true? You know, even with your faithful just attendance, even with your generosity, you know, we still fall short of the glory of God. Now, uh, on his 70th birthday, William Carey wrote this um, note to one of his sons. And you know, William Carey is a, is a pioneer missionary to India. There are millions and millions of Christians right now in India. You don't know it. You know, India is the, one of the largest or uh, most heavily populated nation in the world with over one billion people. There are hundreds of millions of Christians now in India. And all started because of this work of this one man called William Carey. Um, on his 70th birthday, this is what he wrote to his son. I'm this day 70 years old, a monument of divine mercy and goodness. Though on a review of my life, I find much, very much, for which I ought to be humbled in the dust, my direct and positive sins are immunerable. I don't know what positive sins mean, but that's what he wrote. My negligence in the Lord's work has been great. I have not promoted his cause, nor sought his glory and honor as I ought. Notwithstanding all this, I am spared until now. I am still retained in his work. And I trust that I'm received into the divine favor through him. You know, I, 
I, I concurred 100% with what Carrie said. I'm, I'm, I'm surprised why God still let me be a pastor until today, knowing all my shortcomings. And again, I'm not saying that we shouldn't all try to be godly. Like what Peter said, it was very good. You know, I took it down. You know, we have to learn to have the mind of Christ. You know, we have to feel what he feels, you know. We have to be compassionate toward those that he was compassionate to, you know. Uh, our heart should break for what breaks Jesus' heart, you know. We should work toward all that. But I'm telling you, um, we will never, we will never achieve that perfection of becoming 100% like Christ, yeah? We will always fall short, like Paul says in Romans 3, 23. Mike Williams said this, Jesus did not just cancel the curse of the law for you, Jesus canceled out the blessing of the law for you. Do you know what that means? You know, in the Old Testament, they have a system. If you don't follow the law, you are cursed under the law. But if you follow the law, you will be blessed because you follow the law. But Mike Williams said this, and it's rightly so. Jesus coming not only cancel out the curse of the law, but also cancel out the blessing of the law. That means you are free from performance. You don't get blessed for doing it, and you don't get blessed for not doing it either. I'm not saying that sins don't have consequences. You know, if you don't believe me, just try to jump from a 10-story building, see what happens, right? Uh, I'm not saying that sins don't have consequences. I don't believe that hard work don't have uh, its reward. But if you're doing those things for performance reason, don't do it. That's what Mike Williams is trying to say. God doesn't bless you more. God doesn't love you more. Because of all those things. He loved you to the max already. He's given out his best blessing for you, which is Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins. Now, um, Brandon Manning, I'm giving you a lot of quotes today because uh, yeah, I love them. Brandon Manning, one of my favorite authors, he wrote the Ragamuffin Gospel, uh, among other things. Uh, this is what he wrote. If you are trying hard to earn favor from God, from your performance, religious performance, this is what he wrote. May all your expectations be frustrated. May all your plans be thwarted. May all your desires be withered into nothingness that you may experience the paralysis and poverty of a child and sing and dance in the compassion of God who is Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen and amen. One more quote for you. Rich Mullins, uh, a singer, Christian singer had it right when he said, I would rather live on the verge of falling and let my security be in the all-sufficiency of the grace of God than to live in some kind of pietistic, pietistic illusion of moral excellence. Not that I don't want to be morally excellent, but my faith isn't in the idea that I'm more moral than anybody else. My faith is in the idea that God and His love are greater than whatever sins any of us commit. You know, I find it sad that many Christians believe that they are saved by the grace of God alone, through faith alone, but they spend their entire life trying to get God's approval by their work. You know what I'm talking about? Not that they don't believe in grace. They believe that God saved them by grace through faith, but and yet they spend their entire life trying to earn God's approval by their works. Ephesians 2 Verse 8 and 9 says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself, it is the, everyone say it, 
It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. One of the most um, common questions asked to me as a pastor is this, and maybe people ask you this question as well. Can a Christian lose his or her salvation? You ever heard that question before? Yeah? Can a Christian uh, lose his or her salvation? You know, um, it is an important question. I think it is a question that all of you need to know the answer to. And I believe without a shadow of doubt, the answer is definitely not. Definitely not. Why? Just this one verse. I, mean, I can show you a number of verses. You know, for every verse, warning passages that you say, oh, but what about this passage? What about that passage? You know, I can show you more passages to say. By the way, I have explanation for all those passages. Even if you don't have explanation for those passages. And by the way, those passages, the warning passages, there are only one and a few in between. You know, for, and we have this obvious, plain, easy to understand meaning that we can all count on. It says, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God. Now, let me ask you, um, how many of you have ever given a gift and asked for it back? Raise your hand. You know, you go to a wedding. Oh, you have? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for being honest. I've done that myself, you know. Uh, when I, you know, I was dating someone and, you know, uh, and then we broke up. I, don't, I, don't like, I didn't like her anymore. So, you know, I started writing, give me back my CD. Give me back. <laughs> right? It's called monkey love. You, know? you give when you love and you take it back when you don't love. But God is not like that. And in a normal adult, you're not normal like me. I was a normal. You know, we don't do that, right? We don't give something and then, hey, can I have it back? You know, you don't do that. And I think that's, that's our God. You know, He gives salvation, eternal life as a gift. You don't take it back, right? Um, I want to give you an example. I don't know if you heard, this, uh, heard me telling you this example before. Say, me and Pete uh, are good mates since... We were like babies. Assume we're the same age, you know. We look, I look, but your age, right? Okay. Assume we're the same age and we grew up together. We're, we're next door neighbor to each other, right? And Pete's dad happened to be the richest man in Perth. Richest man in Perth, you know. But we were friends not because he's rich. I was a kid. I didn't understand anything about money or anything like that, right? So I was a friend with him because I just liked him. We liked each other. We played together. Now, uh, let's say we grew up and Pete became a teenager, went to um, high school, year 11, year 12. He drove a Ferrari to school and all that and, and treated all his friends to, you know, a lot of good stuff. And say one day, one day, Pete's dad went bankrupt, lost everything. So he lost the Ferrari, he lost the allowance, everything. Now, let me ask you, what's going to happen to Pete's many friends at school? When that happened, <laughs> a few will stick. The real friends will stick around, right? But many of them, I believe, because they were friends with Pete because of his money. Guess what happened when the money is gone? Friendship's gone. But let me ask you, what's going to happen to our friendship? Is it going to be there still? Why? Because the basis of our friendship is not money, is never money. Do you understand? Now, my, my question is this. If this is true, and this is just a simple example. If the basis of our relationship with God 
is not good works, has never been good works, how can you lose it for lack of it? Let me ask you that. Do you understand? Do you follow? If our relationship with God is solely based on grace alone, it's never been on good works, how can you lose it for lack of good works? It's impossible, right? It's the same. So I find it difficult that any Christian can believe that he or she can lose his or her salvation. So, uh, this is very, very important for you to know. Please, as you follow Christ in your daily walk, know that God accepts you in Jesus Christ as who you are. Yes, He wants you to be more and more like Christ. But do not rely on your religious performance to be more accepted by Him. You are already accepted 100%. You are already in the family of God 100%. There's nothing that you could do to earn more brownie points from Him. And you don't need to earn brownie points from Him. Right? Now, for those of you who feel more condemned because of your lack of performance, uh, uh, in one of the most intimate um, books that you have in your Bible called the Song of Solomon, uh, this is what um, Solomon said. Uh, writing, and I believe this has dual meaning. It talks about human relationship, yes, but also uh, behind the scene, I believe it's talking about our relationship with God as well. This is what Solomon wrote. I am my beloved's, and his desire is toward me. His desire is toward me. God's desire is always toward you, as a person, not toward your works, not toward your performance, not towards what you can do for him. His desire is simply and only towards you as a person. My love for my son, Jaden, is not because he can help me wash my car. It's not because, you know, of what he could do for me. Because, because someday he might be a rich boy and, and buy me a nice car. No, I love him simply because of who he is. He is my son. And uh, John wrote in his first epistle, 1 John 3, verse 1, How great is the love of the Father. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called what? The employees of God? (laughs) That we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. See, John wants you to know that your identity in Christ, is that you are the children of God. You're not his employees. You're not his slaves. You know? Yes, that's you know, part of our identity. Paul always addressed himself as, I'm the slave of Jesus Christ. That's because he was talking to the people that he's ministering, representing God. He said, look, you know, I'm slaving for God for you because Jesus did it for me. You know? But our first and foremost identity is that we are the children of God. And John said, and that is what you are. I want you to know that. I don't want you to forget that, that you are the children of God. And during the baptism of Jesus Christ, God said the same thing to God. What did God say? This is uh, one of the proofs of the Trinity where you have Jesus, the Son, you have the Holy Spirit, right? Peering like a dove, and you have the voice coming from heaven. God says, this is my beloved Son. In, in His baptism, I am pleased. In his miracles, I am pleased. In his death, I am pleased. No. In whom? In his whole being, I am pleased. God is pleased with Jesus. Even Jesus, not because of what Jesus can do, 
but simply love him because he is his son. It's as simple as that, right? Uh, we know that children are a blessing from God because um, uh, we've, we, my wife and I, we tried many, many years. A lot of you know our story. For 10 years, we couldn't have a son. So we believe that children are a blessing from God, although I know some of your children tested that uh, theory, right? Um, and, and my son sometimes tested that theory as well. But wherever I go, wherever I go, I always brag about him, you know? I always brag about how handsome he is, you know. He's not the most handsome kid in the world. But I will not trade my son for Brad, Brad Pitt's son. Why? Not because, you know, I could have a more handsome son, you know, uh, with bigger eyes, right? Not squinty eyes like mine. <laughs> but, but he's my son. And to me, he's the most handsome in the world. Have you ever been shown a, a, a baby picture and you look at it? Oh, this baby looks ugly, right? Uh, but you don't say that because you know, <laughs> you know, it looks ugly to you, but to the parents, man, oh, look at this, look at this. I said, oh, yeah, wow. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> All right. Do you know that that's what God does? To you all the time, you know, God brags about you. Um, one time, he was talking to Satan uh, in the book of Job. This is what God says. Have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright. A man who fears God, shuns evil. Now, let me ask you, does God contradict his own word? In Romans 23:23, we all already read, for all have what? Sin. We all what? fall short. What, what is God doing? What is he doing? I don't think God contradicts his word. I don't think God is a psych, uh, you know, schizophrenic and, and, and cannot make up his mind. I believe God is bragging right here. He's bragging to Satan. Hey, look at my servant Job. There's no one on earth like him. He's blameless. You know, he's blameless. He's upright. Uh, just like when I brag about myself, oh, he's so good with math, he's so good with drawing, you know, and, and his drawing looks like, you know, some, one time Jaden drew a, a, a chicken. I said, wow, that's a nice chicken, Jaden. Uh, it's a tiger, daddy. I said, oh, oh, yeah, 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 it is a tiger, okay. Yeah. You know, but to me, he's Picasso, you know, he's an artist. And that's what God does about you, you know, not because of your performance. Just because of who you are in Christ, you are his son. Um, I want to close with this. In Romans 8, Paul says, you know, who can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord? And uh, in that passage, you go home and you read toward the end of Romans chapter 8. I don't have it here, uh, up here on the screen. But uh, Paul mentioned every single thing that he could think of that could possibly separate us from the love of Christ. You know, could trouble or hardship he talks about time. Is it present or future? You know, uh, he talks about um, being angels or demon. You know, uh, height or depth. He talks about space. He said at the end, of, at the end of it all, you know, just in case he missed out and couldn't think of anything else or anything else in the whole creation, can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. The answer is, of course, no. Right? The answer is no. That means not even you yourself can separate yourself. From the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
As hard as you try, the joke I always make to people is this. Once you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you acknowledge you're a sinner. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. And you choose to believe in Jesus as your Savior. Once you've done that, and then you regret it, and you said, I don't want to be in heaven. I want to just go to hell. It's too late for you. Sorry. You know, you can't do it anymore. Uh, trust me, because in John chapter 9 or chapter 10, Jesus clearly says, my father's hand is too strong. No one can snatch you out of the father's hand now. When you choose to give yourself to God, God says, you're mine. That's it. You're mine forever. No one can snatch you out of my hand. No one can snatch you out of my father's hand. My father's hand is too strong. Sometimes I walk in the city with my son, and I always told him, Jaden, hold daddy's hand when we walk, because there are a lot of cars here. It's dangerous. Uh, most of the time, he, he, you know, he listened, but sometimes something would grab his attention. Um, a dinosaur in some store, or a balloon or something. Then he would try to like, jerk his hand away from me, from mine. And guess what happened? No, he couldn't do it. My hand's too strong. Yeah? He tried, but I wouldn't let him because I'm his dad. My hand is too strong. It's kind of like that. Nothing, Paul says, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Um, you must be convinced of this. One last quote from the Ragamuffin Gospel. You must be convinced of this. Trust it. Never forget to remember. Everything else will pass away, but the love of God in Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Faith will become vision. Hope will become possession. But the love of Jesus Christ that is stronger than death endures forever. In the end, it is the only thing that you can hang on to. The only thing that you can hang on to. So this morning, as we close, I want to give you an opportunity. For those of you who, uh, who don't know that Jesus Christ came not to condemn you, but to save you through his sacrificial death on the cross, I want to give you an opportunity to pray a prayer. It's not a magical prayer, but if you mean what you say, God hears what's inside your heart, and God says, I'll take you as my son. In fact, that's exactly the reason why I sent my son to die on the cross, because I want you to be mine. For those of you who are already Christian, but this, you know, maybe you've you never had confidence as a child of God, you know. You don't feel like you're God's beloved, I want to pray for you as well, that from this moment on, you will continue to strive to be more like Christ, yes, but you will be secure in your relationship, not because of what you can do for Him, but simply because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. Let's bow our head. For those of you who want to believe in Jesus Christ for the first time, you may not understand everything, but you know this though. You know that you are a sinner. You know there's nothing you can do to save yourself. Even though you don't know the Bible, but you know that sin will have its consequences. The Bible says the consequence of our sin is death. Not just physical death, but eternal separation from our Almighty God. But God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for your sins. So if you want to be completely forgiven, from all your sins, sins of your past, present, and future even. All you need to do is put your faith and your trust in Him. The Bible says, whoever believes in Him, not whoever behaves in Him, but whoever believes in Him will not die, but have eternal life. If that's you, 
I want to pray a prayer for you. Uh, and I want all the Christians to also pray this prayer out loud and follow after me as a sign that we are in support of this important decision that our new brother and sister is making in Jesus Christ. So pray this prayer out loud with me. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I realize I'm a sinner. There's nothing I can do to save myself. Thank you for the free gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ. I believe he died for my sins. And now I'm completely forgiven. And there's nothing in this world that can separate me from your love. I'm yours forever. And I will spend eternity with you. Help me to follow you now. All the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Would you clap your hands for those uh, who prayed that prayer for the first time? You know, uh, if you pray that prayer for the first time, at the end of this, talk to Peter, talk to Neil, talk to the leaders in this church. They would love to know about it, and they would love to guide you uh, and, 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 and give you pointers where to go from this moment on. But let's close our, our worship experience right now before I hand it over to Peter. I want to pray for, for all the Christians right now. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name again. Thank you, Lord, that you love us just as we are. Thank you, Lord, that we are saved by grace through faith. Forgive us if in the past we've thought that you know, we can always do something more for you that we could somehow make you more pleased with us because of what we do for you. Father, I pray that from this moment on, we rely nothing, nothing, but on the blood of Jesus alone for our acceptance uh, with you. Thank you, Lord, for not counting our sins against us. Even right now, if you saved us while we were still sinners, how much more do you love us now that we are your child? So thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us. I pray, Lord, that uh, from now onwards, we continue to proclaim the message of grace loud and clear, not just to ourselves, Lord, but to people around us. I pray that they will know that there is a God who loves them just as they are and accept them just as they are. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone say amen. Amen. amen.